Okay, good morning. It's good to be back. This is our second time here. So thank you for having us. We'll be in prayer for Pastor Ken, and they said he's recovering from his surgery. Is that correct? Oh, wow. Okay. So we'll be in prayer for him. But thank you for having us again. And if you would take your Bible and turn to 2 Timothy chapter 2. I'm going to talk about something pretty simple this morning, but let's just be honest. Most of the things that we talk about with uh, in regards to the Christian life are pretty simple, right? And a lot of the stuff that we talk about is, I mean, unless you're just really new to the faith, it's pretty well understood or it's certainly something you've probably heard. A lot of us have been around uh, the Christian faith for a number of years. And it's, I think it's interesting. Uh, the Lord talked about the Holy Spirit coming and he's going to bring back some things to remembrance of the, of, of what we've heard and Really, I think that's very applicable to Christians because a lot of the stuff that we hear taught and preached about and spoken of is for the most part some stuff that we already knew, you know? And we're just, it's just like getting dug back up and now we're remembering it again. And, um, that's probably going to be a lot of what you hear this morning. But there again, there may be something that you hear this morning that you hadn't heard before and that's always nice. You know, when you're like, wow, or, you know, if you start to get older and you're like, it's one of those things where you think you just heard it for the first time, but there's a chance that you heard it before, you know, I'm sure you guys know what I'm talking about. (laughs) And then you're like, is this just deja vu or am I telling myself that I've heard this? But in any case, um, if you've heard it before and then you're reminded of it, that's all, that's good too. So, um, 2 Timothy 2.15, I just want to point out something that I believe is very, very important and essential. I know this is a Bible-believing church, so I'm certainly uh, not assuming that you guys have never heard this. I'm sure you've heard this. But in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15, he says, "...to study, to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth." How many of y'all have heard of the term dispensationalism, right? Okay, so it's not a new theory or anything. And really, I don't want to talk about dispensations this morning. Um, You can use the long word dispensation. How many of y'all know what dispensational, uh, dispensationalism means? Okay, most, yeah. So it's, it's different period. If you want to really break it down, it's, it's God dispersing or, uh, telling somebody something in different phases. And that would be like the easiest way to understand it. But we as Bible believers, we look at from Genesis to Revelation and we see all these different dispensations, whether it be uh, with Abraham or even Adam and then Noah and David, you know, obviously the New Testament with Christ and and you have the tribulation. I'm just kind of just rolling through it. There's a, there's a whole bunch of dispensations but I think even more important than that, more important than understanding there's a difference between the Abrahamic, which is Abraham covenant and the Davidic covenant, which is David, right? And understanding the dis- dispensations or the divisions there, 
more, much more important than that is just having a logical understanding that the Bible does have divisions in it. Okay? So look at the verse one more time and notice where it says, rightly, at the end, the end of this verse, rightly dividing the word of truth. So as you study the word of God, you're going to recognize that there are divisions that need to be made. And if the divisions aren't there, then you're going to have a lot of problems. Now, for, for those of us that have been around this thing for a while, we're like, of course. Like, why, you know, why would that even need to be said? But let's, let's be honest here this morning. Most churches and even a lot of Baptist churches do not rightly divide. In fact, they don't even divide at all. They, they, they go as far as to say that in their own, they have these weird beliefs and teachings and stuff where they even try to mix the Old and New Testament together. It's like, well, really God's saying the same thing, right? And just crazy, craziness. And the fruit of that in a lot of ways is just confusion and discouragement. A lot of times, uh, well, I mean, unfortunately they say that Jehovah's Witness and even Mormons will, uh, I'm not going to say they're, they go after Baptists, but the, uh, they, they've been known to convert Baptists over to being Jehovah's Witness or Mormons. And I would venture to say that a lot of the reason that is, is because Baptists have not been taught and they don't have answers to even some of the most simple questions. And that's, that's sad because we've, good night. We've had the Bible now for, We've had a completed English Bible for 400 years, you know, and the Bible's been around. God's preserved it, obviously, since He's He is, uh, you know, ascended up into heaven. But you, we should do. We certainly should be doing better than that, right? So a lot of people call this dispensational Bible teaching, which is true, but really it's just logical Bible teaching. It's just logical. It only makes sense. If we're going to sit here and say that we believe that we're saved by grace through faith, plus nothing, minus nothing, right? And then we read things in the Bible that says otherwise, we have to have some kind of logical explanation for that. And the logic is found in this verse. It says rightly dividing the word of truth. There's divisions, okay? Now, nobody in their right mind would open up the book of Genesis in the first three chapters and teach what God was trying to show Adam and Eve, right? So you're right, and your your hope for eternal life is eating from this tree, uh, the everlasting, you know, the the tree here, and you got to stay away from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, and and you know all the things that go along with being in the Garden of Eden. Nobody would say that that applies to us, would they? I mean, if you if you try to to make any type of application outside of just a really loose spiritual or practical teaching, which, hey, that's done, that's fine. But if you're trying to say this is the way that you're saved or this is the way that you should establish your government or this is the none of that works. Nobody, nobody that's logical or has any sense would try to do that. And that's, that's a simple division. But, um, I, I want to say kind of in an in introduction, we're not going to go super deep into this because we don't have a whole bunch of time, but the Bible is not necessarily a religious book. Okay. Now I know that the Bible, the Bible is peculiar in that it is a book that was preserved by God and that it has God's, uh, more or less commentary in it. Right. 
So in other words, you, you'll read a, you'll read the book of Genesis or even, let's just say, for example, Judges. Have you all ever read the book of Judges? Some pretty wacky stuff in there, okay? Some people, some people don't, will say, I don't even want to read the book of Judges because I don't agree with what's in there. Well, I, I, don't, I think that what you're doing is you're trying to make the Bible this strict religious book that only has do's and don'ts in it. When in reality, it's more of just a historical book with God's, with, with, with God's commentary in it. Okay. Along with the New Testament, which is a lot of commandments and instruction. And I understand all that, but the book of Judges has some crazy things that happen. Nowhere would you ever think that God approves of the stuff that happens. You know, to, you know, y'all read some of the stories towards the end of the book of Judges. And the, and the God just says, well, every man did that was right in his own mind, you know? So man would come, man would write a book, certainly, you know, whether you have like Stephen King or some of these authors, they come up with this crazy, crazy stuff in these stories. The difference between a book that Stephen King would write and then a story that you would read about in the Old Testament, the difference ultimately is that God tells you how he feels about it. Okay. Now you're not going to have God coming into Stephen King's book and saying, this is what the way that I feel about this story. Right. So I think you need, people need to understand that I may have lost you there, but my point was this, the Bible is a, is a, not necessarily a religious book per se. It's a, it's a, a history book. It's a book about a bunch of stories for the most part. And then man doing and saying things that about God and then God saying some things that are recorded. Absolutely. It's God's word, but it's not just a religious book. People need to understand that. And, uh, that helps people understand a lot, but a lot about the Bible. The theme of the Bible isn't necessarily Jesus Christ shedding his blood on the cross. I mean, that is a big part of it. And certainly for us, that's huge. That's the most important for us. But really, if you want to, if you want to take the Bible as a whole, it's a, it's the king and his kingdom. You know, that's, that's from Genesis all the way to Revelation. You see that theme throughout. And I realize a lot of this is old hat for you guys, but I think you need to understand for those of you that may have never heard this or just a little bit confused, taking a step back from the word of God and understanding, Hey, this is what this book is and this is what it's not. And there, there certainly needs to be divisions where I'm not just trying to apply anything and everything that I read in the Bible to my life, right? Doctrinally, certainly you can read the book of Proverbs and apply all kinds of stuff, but you're not going to read in Chronicles about taking sacrificial lambs and making sacrifices, this, that, and the other, and actually end up doing that. I wouldn't think. And I've heard of people, hey man, we're from Tennessee, you know. There's people, I've heard of people doing that. You know? And they, they think it's their, part of their religious duty to do that because in the Old Testament, that was the practice. I mean, you certainly have heard of Seventh day Adventists, correct? I mean, where do you think they get that? Not in the New Testament. So they, what I'm trying to say is the book has to have divisions. Now, um, number one, if you were to lead somebody to the Lord or you met somebody that didn't know much about Christianity and you're trying to disciple them, where would you tell them to start reading? 
This is kind of, this is a softball. This is not like a difficult one. Most of y'all should, should. Very good. Romans, there's one other book that people point to. First, first John's a great one. John. John, first John. Okay. Y'all have heard that? If, when you get saved, you should read John, Romans. That's what I've heard. Anybody, I think that's pretty, pretty good advice. You know why? Because, um, John was written. Go ahead and turn over there in John chapter 20. The book of John was written so that ye might believe. So this is also a good book for somebody who's lost. If you're dealing with somebody and you've dealt with them over a course, over the course of time and you're not getting anywhere with them, you can tell them, Hey, would you at least read the book of John for me? And thousands of people have gotten saved, probably more than thousands. Who knows? Over 2000 years. Maybe a million people, maybe millions, who knows, have gotten saved because they've read the gospel of John. And the reason that they've gotten saved is found in verse 31, John 20, 31. But these things are written that ye might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the son of God, and that believing you might have life through his name. So that this is John. Okay. John, the revelator. Okay. Not, not John, the Baptist. We understand that. And you know what he's saying about the epistle that he wrote? Or I should say the gospel that he wrote? He's saying the reason that, the, the reason that this is written is basically to bear witness to that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and that, but, that by believing that Jesus Christ is the Son of God that you might be saved. And reading this will help you to believe those things. So John is written that you might believe. John also will show you the deity of Christ. That Jesus Christ was not just a man or a good prophet or a good man or teacher, whatever. He was actually the Son of God. And if, I mean, you can take it the next step further, which we know is true, that Jesus Christ is God. And that's found in, of course, a ton of places in the Bible, but John chapter one in particular. Okay. Um, now Romans, look over in Romans chapter 10. You know why you should read the book of Romans or tell somebody they should read the book of Romans if they say they're not well established? Is because it shows a person very clearly how to be saved. Romans 10. How many of y'all knew that? I'm sure all of you guys know that, right? Romans 10, 9. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus... And believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. So I'm not saying that you just read that one passage and now you know how, that's literally how you get saved. Confessing the Lord Jesus with your mouth and believing in your heart, according to that passage. Thou shalt be saved. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord, verse 13, shall be saved. So reading not just this passage in particular, But the entire book of Romans is written to explain salvation to you from uh, chapter 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, all the way kind of into chapter 6. And look at chapter 5, because we all know what therefore means. It's like a kind of a conclusion, right? People are the, the people that write in the New Testament, Paul primarily, 
He says, therefore, he's like, all right, let's stop. Let's make a conclusion. What does he say in verse one? Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God. That's a huge part of the theme of the first five chapters in the book of Romans is justification by faith. So somebody that doesn't know any better that has, maybe they're newly saved, they're new Christians. Tell them, Hey, read the book of Romans and you'll understand more about salvation, understand more about how you got saved. And you can even get assurance of salvation out of reading the book of Romans. Okay. So that answers, where do I start my Bible? Now, wouldn't it make more sense to tell somebody that they need to start in Genesis? I mean, let's draw this back a little bit because any other book you would start in the beginning of the book, wouldn't you? So let's, let's take, let's take this idea of this Bible that we've known for 20, 30, 40 years or whatever we've known as being the special book and it's books within a book and all these things. Let's just, let's just look at it as there is a book with a cover and pages in it. To anyone that would, that is foreign from the Christian faith, they, they would look at this book and they'd say, I'm going to open it and I'm going to start reading right here. Okay. But see, the Bible's a different book, you know? That's why we just don't take, we don't take those things for granted, but you need to, you need to sympathize with other people that aren't familiar with this and say, well, of course, in your mind, you would say, of course you don't start reading. A new Christian wouldn't just start reading in Genesis one. I mean, he can, there's nothing wrong with that. But if he really wants to learn, he needs to read the book of John or Romans. Why would anybody think that? You know what I mean? That does, that, I'm not going to say that doesn't make sense, but that, that is not in line with any other book that you read. You read from the beginning. So I hope you're kind of understanding a little bit what I'm saying, but the book, the Bible is such a peculiar book that it has divisions in it to where only certain sections apply to you. Okay. It's not a book that's written as religious teachings necessarily. That's not the primary theme or, you know, story of the Bible. And then it's not a book where you just start at the beginning. So a lot of you guys might be saying, well, of course I know this, but we're in 2023. You've never, I don't know that in the last, I hate this, just throw out numbers, but probably 150 years in this country, there's never been a generation that knew the Bible less. And as time goes on, they know it less and less. You say, why? Because, I mean, the biggest picture that I could paint is that Christians have forsaken going to church. Therefore, their kids don't go to church. Therefore, their kids don't go to church. And then generation after generation, let's be honest. If you weren't sitting here in church or made the commitment to come to church and sit in in the seat, I almost said pew, but... I guess you guys know what I was talking about. If you didn't make that commitment, you would probably not be disciplined enough to sit there, sit here for two to two and a half hours and just listen without any distractions, without looking at your phone, without getting up, without making yourself a sandwich. You understand what I'm saying? Because I'm not saying that the church is the only way, place that you learn the Bible, but when you come to church, that's the reason that you come 
And as a result, you learn most of the Bible that you have outside of your Bible reading. I understand that. But you've learned the teachings mostly from being in church. That's generally what happens. When people don't go to church, they don't learn the Bible. And when generation after generation doesn't go to church, now you have an entire culture that doesn't know anything about the Bible. So for me to say, well, the Bible has divisions and the Bible is a history book. And in the Bible, if you're a new Christian, you should start in John and Romans. That's completely foreign to almost all Christians, even if they're saved. They don't know this stuff. So, and I may be talking to somebody in this here this morning that maybe you don't, didn't know all that stuff. And that's fine. That, that is, that's a result of kind of where we're at. It's just the day and age that we live in. And you just can't take those kind of things for granted. So, um, the last thing about the book of Romans, why you should read it is it teaches you doctrinal and practical truths. So the last part of the book of Romans gives you a ton of practical, everyday Christian living type uh, passages, but those first five books and then six, seven, eight, nine is a ton of doctrinal stuff that you need. So the book of Romans is just all inclusive in terms of just educating Christians and helping them understand. Now it's obviously a book that you can study all your life and not get all of it, but just as far as something that you could read at the beginning, wouldn't you agree that reading the book of Romans would be more helpful than reading the book of Revelation. And you know what's interesting is all these different churches, we get these pamphlets. It was a lot worse in the South, but I've even seen them up here. They send you these pamphlets and stuff in the mail and these letters inviting you to their church to study the book of Revelation. Why would you invite somebody that doesn't know anything about the Bible to study the book of Revelation? Now understand, I'm not saying that the book of Revelation is worthless. What I'm saying is that it's so complex and difficult to understand. I, I've been studying the Bible for 25 years. I have a hard time understanding the book of Revelation. What about someone who is not even saved or just barely saved and doesn't know anything about the Bible? The first thing that you're going to do is dump them in the book of Revelation. You understand what I mean? Like that doesn't make sense. You don't, but that's still what happens. It still happens. They're just like, Hey, Come on over here and we'll study the book of Revelation. Why don't you show them? You know what they need to hear is this kind of stuff right here. The most basic, 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 basic stuff. So um, here is a great question. And this is something that people will, they, they, they know it in their mind, but they're not going to tell you unless you ask them. This is the question. Why is the Bible confusing at times? Why? Have you, have you ever heard of somebody saying, well, I, I, this, this could be a Christian or a non-Christian. I don't read the Bible because it's confusing. Oh yeah. I've heard that a ton. Lost people, they'll read, um, they'll pick up the Bible and they'll read some Psalms, which is fine. That's not confusing. It's very basic and simple. But man, if they read pretty much anywhere else, they're like, I don't understand. The Bible's too confusing. It's too confusing. Well, there's an answer for that. There's a reason that the Bible is confusing. Let's look at a couple of passages. I don't know where the clock is, so. There it is. It's camouflage. And I, I, I probably noticed that that was a clock, but I'm so used to like the decorative things. 
that looks more like a decoration than an actual clock. I mean, it's nice looking, you know. You go into people's house and they'll have like something on the wall that they might even be like a neat looking clock setting, but it is not actually keeping time. So that one works. Okay. Okay, uh, Matthew chapter 13. So you kind of get have to get the the idea of what's going on. You have Jesus Christ. He's got his disciples with him. And he keeps giving out information, whether it's the Sermon on the Mount, whether it's these parables. And he, he's giving out these information. It's almost like it's coded. Okay? Yeah. And then the disciples come up to him and, and they're like, why do you keep talking like this? Why, why are you, why are you saying things in the way that you're saying? Why don't you just come out and say it? Okay? That's what's going on. Jesus Christ, he's not trying to be confusing, but he understands some things about men's heart that, that we, maybe we understand, but we don't recognize. So the, the reality is, is God didn't have to, I know the preachers have said this over and over again, but God didn't, didn't have to give us a book that was a thousand, fifteen hundred pages. He could have given, just given us one page of information. Maybe not everything that we need to know, but certainly enough to get us to heaven and help us live the Christian life. Just one page. Y'all, y'all realize that, right? So, um, Matthew 13 and verse 10. And the disciples came and said unto him, why speakest thou unto them in parables? It's a, hey, it's a legitimate question. Why, why don't you just tell them what you're trying to say? Why are you using stories and analogies and covering up everything? And look what he says. He answered and said unto them, because it is given unto you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God, but to them it is not given. For what whosoever hath to him shall be given, and he shall have more abundance. But whosoever hath not, from him shall be taken away even that he hath. Therefore speak I to them in parables, because they seeing, see not, and hearing, they hear not, neither do they understand. Now let's couple that with John chapter 9. Keep that thought in mind. John chapter 9, verse 41. Okay, and who, without looking at the top which te- of your Bible, which just tells you the story, who knows what John 9 is about? Remember the, the healing of the blind man? Isn't that right? Okay. And then what happens after he gets healed? His parents and the Pharisees, they all get in this big argument where his parents even say something ridiculous like, we don't even know if this is our son. And the whole idea was they didn't want to get kicked out of the synagogue because the Pharisees were there. And if they, if they confess that, hey, Jesus Christ really did heal our son, then the Pharisees would get mad at them and kick him out. And the Pharisees obviously wouldn't admit that this guy was blind and that they knew who he was and that that, that was their parents. You, you, you remember this story? It just, it's a huge mess. And nobody's being honest because they don't want to lose their position and they don't want this person to think this way about them. In other words, they're not willing to forsake 
what they have for Jesus Christ in a nutshell. Besides the blind man. Like he's experienced something that he's like, I don't care what you say. I don't care how you say it happened. All I know is that I was blind and now I see. And that's all I care about. And you know what Jesus Christ says to him? He's like, go on and live your life. That's exactly what, that's exactly what I want you to say. It's as simple as that. You were blind and now you see. Okay. And the, of course the, the spiritual application for Christians is, Hey, I was lost, but now I'm found. I, I'm a sinner, but now I'm saved. All I know is that I was a sinner on my way to hell and now I'm saved. It's as simple as that. But what Jesus Christ says here in verse 41, he says, Jesus said unto them, 941, if you were blind, you should have no sin. But now you say, we see, therefore your sin remaineth. Do you see what he's saying? You, you won't even admit that you're a sinner. You won't admit that you're blind. There's no way I'm going to help you see. The first thing you have to admit is that you're blind and you cannot see. But you say that you see and you understand, therefore you're in the same position. Okay? So let's, let's draw this back with Matthew 13. The idea here is that people won't be honest. They say they see, they say they hear, they say all these things. The reality is they don't. They won't come to Jesus Christ and say, hey, teach me, like his disciples. Teach me. And as a result, Lord says, I'm going to put it in a parable. It's going to be darkness to you. You won't get the truth. Now, let's bring this back around to the Bible. The Bible is written in such a way to where if you don't approach it the right way and say, hey, Lord, teach me because I'm blind and I don't know anything, then you're not going to learn anything from the Bible. So it can't just be a sheet of paper with information. It has to be written to where you read it and then the Lord reveals it to you. Look at Isaiah chapter 66. So this isn't just an isolated part of the Bible that I'm kind of pulling out. This is actually quite the theme in the Bible is how that God will deal to deal with a man according to his attitude towards God. That's something that you see throughout the Bible. Certainly throughout the New Testament. So Isaiah 66 verse 2, towards the end of the verse, says, But but to this man will I look, even to him that is a poor and contrite spirit, and what? Trembleth at what? Trembleth at my word. So do you think that you have to have some level of respect towards the word of God before God is going to give you any truth out of it? So now when people say the Bible is confusing, we're like, well, yeah, of course it's confusing because God has written it that way. But if you want to learn it, I can show you or teach you some things that will help you and the Holy Spirit reveal the truth to you. I know that's not complex, but a lot of people don't talk about that. And you, you walk into any number of these churches, and I'm not saying any church here in town or whatever, I know nothing about these churches, but across the country, you can walk into a church and, and I, you know, whether their motive is just to have the numbers or the money or the ministries or whatever, they're not interested in, in going down to their level and say, well, these are the things that you need to know about the Bible. And this is the attitude that you need to have toward the Bible. If you want to learn it, no, they just throw them into a big pot and say, well, here's the truths of God's word. They're not learning anything about God's word. They don't have the, they, they don't have the Holy Spirit to show them. They're, you know, they're looking at it like the natural man, you know, 
they don't, you didn't start them where they needed to begin. So of course they're not going to learn. Um, and then while you're in the Old Testament, if you're still there, go over to Ezekiel. <clears throat> and this is one of those verses that if it wasn't written in the Bible, for me just to stand up here and say it, you would say, you are crazy. God would not do that. And it's not my thought. I didn't come up with it. You know, this is what's written in the Bible. This is, this is God's nature. That's why when he says, my thoughts are not your thoughts. My ways are not your ways. You and I are different. We're completely different. We might be able to meet on some, some medium level with Jesus Christ, but you won't really understand the way that I think and the way that I am until you lose that body of flesh and you're up in heaven and have the mind of Christ. And maybe that's something that some of us need to understand this morning is we're not going to understand the ways of God. It's too high for us. We're just humans. Now, I'm, I'm, I'm not telling you not to try or pray or ask God for wisdom or direction or answers, but if you come to a point where like, I don't understand why God did that, then be, try to be happy with that. Because you're not God. And you don't think like God. God doesn't think like you. So in Ezekiel 14, verse 4, it says, Therefore speak unto them, and say unto them, Thus saith the Lord God, Every man of the house of Israel that setteth up his idols in his heart, and putteth the stumbling block of his iniquity before his face, and cometh to the prophet, I, the Lord, will answer him uh, that cometh according to the multitude of his idols. Did you guys get that? Say, if, if you want to go to the prophet and get the word of the Lord, and you haven't done some business and getting some things out of your heart and your life, and you're completely okay with all that, when you go to the prophet, all, you're not going to get anything from me. You're going to get what it is that you took in. I'm going to answer you according to the problems and the idols in your heart. In other words, you're not going to get truth. That's why, that's why Jesus Christ says, to them I'm going to speak in parables because they're going to get darkness. They're not going to understand what I'm saying. And then the disciples, hey, they got it. Well, they got some of it. <laughs> they had a hard time too. But hey, they, they had, they were on the right road. Okay, uh, we'll probably do just a little bit more. So I'll just mention this and then we'll, we'll close. Do you know what the disciples asked Jesus to teach them? Think about it in the, in, the New Testament. What is it? Teach us how to pray. Isn't that what they said? Lord, teach us how to pray. Um, I, you might think this is blasphemous, but I think that if Jesus Christ was here and you had, and he had some of his disciples or Christians, they would probably ask him, teach us how to read the Bible. Now, maybe they wouldn't. But the reason I say that is because the Bible is way more complex than praying. It's so much more difficult to read and understand the Bible than it is just to bow your head and pray. You can explain to somebody in five minutes how you pray and what it is that, what your attitude should be and how simple it is. It's like a son talking to the father. It's not vain repetition. You don't have to have certain words. You don't have, have to do this, do that. Just have the right attitude. Talk to him like you, you know, like your friend, whatever. Is that right? Is that how you pray? 
I mean, did it take you years to figure out how to pray? Maybe it took you years to figure out that you should pray. <laughs> but understanding the concept is not difficult. It, it takes years, years to study the Bible and get to a point where you can teach other people. Is that fair or not? So if, if the disciples had a completed New Testament or entire Bible, and they had that thing and it was super confusing to them like it is for most Christians, they may have said, teach us how to pray, but maybe then the second question would be, hey, could you teach us how to read our Bibles? Could you teach us the Bible? Don't they have Bible schools? They don't have prayer schools. I don't know. Call me crazy. Look at Acts real quick and we'll close with that. Acts chapter 8. Okay, story once again. This is Philip the Evangelist. He's transported over here and uh, he meets the Ethiopian eunuch. And um, verse 29 says, Then the Spirit said unto Philip, Go near and join thyself to this chariot. And Philip ran thither to him and heard him read the prophet Isaiah and said, Understandest thou what thou readest? And he said, Of course, it's super simple. Everybody understands the Bible. What are you doing here? I don't need your help. What does he, what does he actually say? How can I accept, except some man should guide me? And then Peter's retort isn't, or Philip, excuse me, isn't, you don't need anybody to show you. You can figure it out on your own. That's not what happens. Philip says, okay, I'll show you. I'll show you what somebody showed me. I'll show you what I've learned. So the moral of this story is that when it comes to the Bible, somebody is going to guide you through it. And I'm not taken away from the Holy Spirit. I'm not saying that He can't. And I'm not saying that, that Christians have not learned without any type of guidance. Because they have. I know they have. But by and large... Especially when it, when it comes to even the things that we've talked about this morning, which may be super simple to you, but it's only because of years and years of other Christians studying and teaching and passing it along. And that's what Paul says. He says, Hey, be faithful and, and keep the stuff that I've taught you so that you can be faithful and teach the next generation down. So Paul told, told Timothy and the Ethiopian says, I'm not going to make the right application here of what I'm reading unless somebody comes in and shows me and guides me in the right direction. So <coughs> it's easy to look at, you know, Seventh-day Adventists or Mormons or 
Church of Christ, whatever, just the whole lot, and look at them and say, "Why? What's wrong with those people? You know, can't they read the Bible? Don't can they see that Jesus Christ is the Son of God? Can they do this? Can they do that?" You need to understand that they, just like you and me, have submitted themselves under the authority of somebody else and said, "Teach me, teach me the Bible." And then what happened is they guided them in the wrong direction. You know? So, like, I'm, I'm not God. I don't know how all that stuff goes down, judging and this, that, and the other. I, I, I think it's pretty clear if you're one of those teachers and say you know the truth, but you know that you're, you've got a big following or you're making good money off of it or this, that, or the other. I'm not accusing every preacher. Okay. You guys understand. I'm not, up here like trashing these other churches or other other religions. What I am saying though is if there's a teacher who is teaching something that's wrong and they know that, that it's wrong or that it, they don't have the feeling that it's right or whatever, God showed them that it's not right and they're doing it anyways and they're leading a bunch of people astray, I've, I kind of get the feeling and there's some verses that, that show that there's going to be some condemnation, some serious condemnation. Where do the followers fall in? Obviously they're responsible for their own actions. I'm not, I'm not taking all the responsibility off of them. But it's primarily that the, those people have been guided and taught and led in the wrong way. So, so what are you trying to say? What I'm, what I'm saying in conclusion is that it's important that we study. Obviously that we're taught and led the right way. And then we make the divisions. And we come to an understanding that the Bible is an incredible book, but it's a book that we need help with through the Holy Spirit, through teaching and understanding, and just asking the Lord, hey, show me, right? And that's really the next part of this lesson is how do we approach reading the Word of God. But just from the the basics of the basics, whenever you pick up your Bible and we, we take these things for granted, but if you're going to teach somebody else and show them, say, well, first you need to understand that uh, that's a great book, but it's not best to start in the, the book of Revelation, even though that's some pretty crazy stuff. Pretty interesting stories there. Or you should understand that uh, Jesus Christ's teaching on the Sermon on the Mount is not necessarily f- for you to get saved. Okay, there are divisions, and we didn't have time to get into all the divisions. And maybe if you know Lord Terry's, I'll have the opportunity to to teach that again. Or I'm sure your pastor shows you, but the, just the simple divisions and understanding some very simple uh, parts of the Bible will help you understand the truth, right? And it's it's just basic. So if you're in the position where you're going to help another Christian. Step back a little bit. Understand that the Bible is a very peculiar book, right? And and maybe just if you wrote some notes down or even some of the things you already know, try to help them understand, hey, this is where I started and this is some things that I learned and this is this will help you. I think it will go a long way because you're living in a in a culture that is unchurched, unbibled. It's not really a word, but they don't know the Bible. And they they need this type of stuff, right? Okay, let's pray. Lord, thank you for the Word of God, and thank you for all the 
people that you put in our lives to teach us and really the heritage that this church has and being a Bible-believing church and rightly dividing. We pray that you would um, help us to maybe search some somebody out, Lord, and and uh, maybe take a few minutes with them and ask them some questions and maybe help them understand their Bible a little bit better so that they can uh, serve you more effectively. And we pray that you would help us always to have the attitude towards your word that the Bible describes as being of a poor and contrite spirit and trembling and um, having a reverence and a fear for your word that we we ought to. And we thank you again. Pray that you bless the service to follow. In Jesus' name, amen.